Colorado is choosing its next governor. And the next big step are the primaries, which for the first time are open to any voter. You don't have to be a registered Republican or Democrat to cast a ballot. Well, this time on Who's Gonna Govern, Greg Lopez. He's running for the GOP nomination. And he invited us to join him at a Cinco de Mayo celebration in Denver Civic Center Park. Lopez, the only Hispanic candidate in the race, used to be mayor of Parker, but it was his time in the Air Force that sparked a conversation with a voter who passed by his booth. Rebecca Monopolis of Littleton told him her father is also an Air Force veteran. What did your dad do? He was a fighter pilot, and he was stationed in Elmendorf, Alaska. Oh, well, you know what? I was a weapons specialist. So okay, I would have loaded. So his, I would have loaded his entire. You made him good. Yeah, wow. I would have loaded all his ammunition, making sure that if he wanted to hit something, it was going to work. From CPR News, this is Who's Going to Govern, a podcast featuring the major party candidates for governor. Today, Greg Lopez, who also talked about veterans with voter Tracy Shaw. She lives in Denver now, but... I lived in the Springs. I worked for counselors who tried to help them. The guys that were in the military were scared to talk to counselors because it would get to their superiors, so they wouldn't come in. How are we supposed to help them if they can't help themselves because of fear? Right. We've got to change that whole narrative. One of the things that I've heard from the uh, chaplains and the people inside the military, because I asked them, I said, what's changed? They said, Greg, there was a day where it would take six months or five months to get them from the front lines to get them home. And they would be able to self-program themselves, right? They would talk about my story. You would share your story. Now they're home within 48 hours. Their conversation turned to guns. Lopez thinks the Second Amendment keeps people safe. He says, like driver's licenses, one state should respect another's concealed carry permit. And back to the military, he thinks there should be open carry on bases and at recruiting centers. Tracy Shaw liked what she heard, that Lopez would protect her rights and freedoms, she says. Like guns, you know, the right to have and own own and have one. Um, Talking about security, um, the right to have your privacy not taken away because they're afraid of what may happen. You know, those are just a couple of things. Lopez is also former director for the U.S. Small Business Administration in Colorado, and he currently owns a restaurant in Aurora. We sat down together for an in-depth interview on May 8th. And Greg Lopez is in our studio. Welcome to the program. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. What is the greatest problem facing Colorado, and how would you solve it? You know, I think the greatest problem that's facing Colorado is just like the greatest problem that's facing our country. You know, we struggle in being able to have good dialogue and conversation when we're looking to solve problems for the state. You know, when you look at the actual issues that are being discussed, whether it's transportation, education, water, as you go across the entire state, you know, I think we all share the same common uh, objective. And that is we all want to make Colorado a better state. We want to make sure that everybody's future is uh, the future that everybody's looking for. But I think right now is being able to have good conversation, making sure that we're looking to solve problems together. How does the governor fix that? Well, I think the governor can definitely set an example. You know, people have asked me, Greg, what would you do the first 100 days if you were governor? And I tell them, you know what, I don't know because I really haven't thought about the first 100 days. But I tell you what I do the first 10 days. And that is I would invite the 
leadership of the General Assembly to meet with me. But we wouldn't meet in the Capitol and we wouldn't meet in the governor's office. We'd meet on the seventh floor of the Denver Public Library. Now, what's on the seventh floor is a table that was used at the Summit of Eight, where the the eight heads of state sat down to talk about the challenges. And what's unique about that table it is a handcrafted table by a Coloradan, and the table is round. There is no right side. There is no left side. So when we sit at this table, we're going to work on solving problems for Colorado. Okay. You mentioned a few of the issues there, education and transportation. We'll get to those in, in just a moment. Uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about your background. Your parents were migrant workers, harvesting crops, traveling from the Rio Grande Valley in Texas, all the way sometimes up to Michigan. That's what correct. What was that like as a kid? You know, I don't remember much of it. You know, I see pictures of me and my brothers out in the fields, but my mom and my dad tell us about the hard life that they had to do, you know, and how they used to make burritos underneath the trucks and how, you know, we would try to find shade and those types of things, you know. But from what I remember of what they tell me, I mean, it was a hard life, but it was a, it was a family life. You know, it brought family together. On the campaign trail and right at the top of your website, Craig Lopez, you say that you're the only candidate with true government executive experience. Uh, That is a bold claim in a race with a state treasurer, uh, a former state treasurer, and the current lieutenant governor. Can you tell me what you mean when you say that? Yeah. You know, when I was mayor, I was elected at the age of 27. In Parker? In Parker. I was very fortunate because not only was I the mayor, but I was the city manager at the same time. It was a strong mayor form of government. So all the department heads reported directly to me. And so I was responsible for putting the budget together. I was responsible for seeing the day-to-day operations of the community. And I only voted if there was a split vote on council. So every issue that the town had to face, whether it's land use, zoning, residential development, transportation corridors, public service, or public safety, all those issues had to cross my desk as we move forward in making Colorado the community that it is today. You were a Democrat when you were elected mayor, weren't you? I was. What, briefly, would you say, turned you into a Republican? You know, I think I'm like most uh, minorities. You know, we all are Democrats because our mom and dads told us that we are Democrats because the Democrats look after the poor. But when I got elected, I was going to the schools. And the question I always get from the schools was, the students was, what party are you and why? And my answer was, I'm a Democrat because my mom and dad are. After a while, that answer didn't sit well with me. I decided that, you know, the students needed a better answer. So I studied the national platforms for both the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. And after six months of reviewing the platforms, I determined that I was truly a Republican. Was there an issue, a part of your life that you think uh, sealed the deal? I think it's my upbringing. You know, being strong in family and faith and being conservative Watching our dollars, you know, I come from humble beginnings, so I'm not a very extravagant spender. You know, I make sure that whatever I buy, I hold on to that. I don't wait. I'm not wasteful with any things that I acquire. And I think those were the values that I really held down as a Republican. You talked about not necessarily having a specific vision for your first 100 days. Some might hear that and think, well, this this is a man who lacks a plan, who lacks a vision. So let's get into some of uh, the issues that you mentioned, education, for instance, 
you're campaigning as the candidate who will represent all of Colorado's 64 counties. And when it comes to education, rural areas face teacher shortages. According to the National Education Association, while the average teacher salary in the state in 2016 was more than $51,000, the average pay is almost $30,000 less in rural areas. How would you address that? You know, and this is a question that everybody asks as it pertains to, you know what, the, the environment and the economy in rural Colorado is totally different from urban Colorado. And unless you've traveled to 64 counties and actually been in those communities, it's really hard to truly understand the challenges that they're facing. You know, I think the one of the things that we need to remember is that the state gives money to the school districts. It's the school districts that look at their salaries, their benefits, and all those types of things. I think there is a an imbalance on how we fund rural Colorado when it comes to education. The real question that we should be asking is why is there a negative factor of $828 million? This is something of an IOU that the state issued to schools after the recession. It's being paid down, but it's still in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Well, I don't know that it's being paid down. You know, when I look at the budget, I don't, I'm not seeing a whole lot of funds being funneled over there. But here's the thing. Why is it that when you have a constitutional amendment that the government believes that they should have an IOU to educate our children? There's a state constitutional amendment, Amendment 23, that guaranteed a certain level of funding for education. So would you uh, back a tax increase on the ballot for schools? No. I think what we need to do is look at making sure that we're paying back the educational funds that we've borrowed. Where does that money come from in the state budget, Greg Lopez? The money is in the budget. What you have to do is you have to prioritize. See, I truly believe... So what gets cut, what gets scaled back to make sure that you pay down that IOU? I think what you have to do is first look at the totality of the budget. I'm going to tell you that in any any government budget, there's a, a percentage of this fraud, waste, and abuse. And the reason I say that is because, you know, people don't spend other people's money as carefully as they spend their own. Until I, t- until I see the entire operation of the government, you can look at a budget and you can look at the numbers and you can ask, how is this being spent? But one of the fallacies that a lot of people don't understand is you really have to have a conversation with people to understand how those programs are working. Are you saying there are hundreds of millions of dollars of fraud, waste and abuse in Colorado's budget? I'm saying that there is a level of fraud, waste, and abuse. And I I wouldn't surprise me to find out that there's ways that we can save more money to go into education. Let me give you a perfect example. Let me ask you this. Let me give you a perfect example. When I was mayor, okay, I found out that at the end of the year, my department heads were spending money uh, on paper and spending money on on pallets of things that really weren't mission-driven. When I asked them why they were spending that money, Their response was, well, we have to spend all our money because if we don't spend all our money, then you will not not only not give us what we spent last year, but you won't give us an increase. And that is the mindset of government is that you have to spend every single dollar that you ask for. But do do you think that Republicans in the legislature, for instance, who presumably feel similarly to you about the budget or, frankly, a governor who – Uh, campaigned on cutting red tape. Don't you think they would have found hundreds of millions of dollars in fraud, waste, and abuse? I think if they look for it, truly look for it, okay, they would, okay? But I think one of the things that happens, and I've been in government before, so I can tell you this, you know, if you don't find it right away, people will stop looking. 
But you have to ask questions because if you talk to the employees and you ask them here in this radio station, if you were to ask some of the employees, where could we save money if we needed to? I bet you would find five or 10 ideas that you might be able to pursue to help save money. Do you think that there needs to be any new revenue, perhaps in transportation, for instance? So the legislature seems to have struck a deal that will send some more money to transportation that may result in bonding. But there are measures headed to the ballot, one of which might raise taxes for roads and bridges. Would you support that? You know, it's interesting that every time we have a challenge, people feel that what we need to do is raise taxes and raise money. I really don't believe that we've really analyzed all the different options that are available to us. Now, there's going to be a point in time where we might have to look and say, hey, we need to either bond, we need to look at taxes and those types of things. You know, so I'm not saying that that's off the table. What I'm saying is that we really need to evaluate Where is this money going and how is it being used before we have that conversation? Because here's some of the concerns that I have. A lot of people just want to raise the sales tax to help raise, uh, to build roads and to get more money for transportation. A lot of communities like Sterling and La Junta and some of the rural areas cannot absorb an increase in the sales tax. So we need to make sure that when we make decisions, we're looking at the entire 64 counties. What do you think would be a better way to raise money for roads and bridges? Well, before I say there's a better way to raise money for roads and bridges, you know, I used to sit on the board of E-470. I understand transportation corridors. This is a toll road in the Denver area. Yeah, but what you have to look at, it's not about toll roads. It's about the cost of the road. How much does it cost to make sure that you have the environmental assessments done, the construction costs, the alignments, and all those types of things? And so it's not just about the cost. But it's looking at how are we going to build these roads? I hear a lot of we have to look at this. We have to study this. We have to evaluate this from you and not necessarily here are the actions I would take. Because here's the deal, right? Most politicians would like to tell you this is how we're going to fix it. And then when they get in an office, they realize that perhaps they didn't have all the information and all the and all the ins and outs of what's going on. I've learned from being the mayor and being in government That if you really want to be honest and if you really want to make sure that you represent the people, that you tell them that before you make a decision, before you look at the the solution, you're going to look at all the options because it's easy to come up with, well, let's raise taxes. It's easy to say, well, let's do this. But until you truly understand the totality of the complexity of the problem, you really are just shooting from the hip. Your website says that when it comes to health care, The U.S. is in the midst of a national debate and that as governor, you'll advocate for, quote, wherever this debate leads. Uh, But you don't offer any specific policies. Give me an idea you bring to the table on health care. Well, health care is something that we should all be able to afford. So the first question that you need to ask yourself, Ryan, is why is health care so expensive? No one's asking that question. Well, I think lots of people are asking that question. Well, obviously, no one's answering the question. How do you answer it? Well, I think the way I answer it is you want, we need to find out, really, truly find out, why does it cost so much to get an aspirin? Why does it cost so much to get an x-ray? So do you have a policy to address that? Policies don't address those issues. It's conversations. See, Ryan, what you need to understand is that I'm a person that likes to gather information. Now, let me tell you, from some of the situations I've seen in Pueblo, Colorado, there's clinics. There's clinics that are using to provide health care true health care to individuals. And Medicaid and all those programs that we have, that's not health care. That's a means by which we pay for health care. So we need to truly understand how do we provide quality health care. 
And what we're talking about is making sure that we're providing the needs of the patient, not how are we paying for the services. Would you roll back the Medicaid expansion in Colorado? You know, one of the one of the first things that you have to remember about the Medicaid expansion is that in order for you to qualify, you have to live in poverty. So I'm going to tell you there are way too many people living in poverty here in Colorado. You know, and I want to look at why are we expanding that? Because I'm told, and I don't know, I, not until I get there, but I'm told that there's a lot of people that are qualified, working, and hard workers that can afford health care, but aren't doing that. So you're, you're saying that you know there to be a no, lot no, no, of that's able-bodied not what I said. people. Okay, no, no, that's not what I said. You've heard, yes. So okay. let's not twist my words. That's what I'm hearing, and until I get there, I won't find out. Last year, you released a nine-minute video in which you and your wife Lisa discussed a domestic violence incident from 1993 when you were the mayor of Parker. You've said for your part that alcohol was at least partly to blame. You were charged with physical assault. Your wife was cited for harassment. Uh, What would you tell voters who hear that and worry about the temperament you'd bring to the job? Here's what I would tell them. You know, I was a city mayor at the time. You know, for eight weeks, I was in the newspapers and I was on TV. You know, I made a mistake and I've learned from that. I think the true test of character of a person is if you make a mistake and you're able to stand tall and say, you know what, I learned from it. We've been married 30 years, you know, and I was very young at the time, you know, and like anybody else, you make errors. But I've learned from that, you know, in the last. What have you learned from that? I've learned that, you know what, you need to first remember that two individuals coming from different perspectives of life have a different way of looking at things. And so you need to slow down and ask a lot of questions, because if you really care about someone, if you care about your marriage, you're going to work hard to build that relationship. We've been to marriage counseling three times in our 30 years. And I would tell anybody that if you're struggling in your marriage, you need to go to counseling because there's nothing to be ashamed about when you're trying to preserve something that you truly care for. Was that incident about temper? No. You know what? It wasn't about temper. It was about more of a, a, a disagreement on what our son was sick. Okay, so we were trying to comfort them, both of them. Now, this incident was not a long incident. It lasted for hours. Okay, but here's the thing. It doesn't matter because domestic violence does discriminate. It goes in every household. It can happen in every economic income level. And so what we want to do is we don't want to hide from it. You know, a lot of people have said, you know, Greg, why don't you seal the file? And I said, no, we're not going to seal the file because this is who I am. It's made me a better Christian man. It's made me a better father. It's made me a better husband. And I've learned from those mistakes. And while I wish it hadn't happened, but I'm a better man for it today because of how I addressed it. You often make references to God, your faith, the Bible on the campaign trail. I'm curious about how you reconcile that with your vocal support of President Trump. So it was revealed that $130,000 was paid on his behalf to an adult film star during the campaign. Trump, of course, was captured on tape making lewd remarks about women. Are those things you choose to overlook in support of his politics? I'm not sure how the connection about my spiritual belief and how President Trump is living his life kind of inter intersex. Well, I'm wondering if faith, uh, which you've said often on the campaign trail, is important to you, drives some of your political decisions, and and even as a voter, for instance. Well, you know, I truly believe in my Lord and Savior. 
I believe that the Bible is something that uh, really guides my life as it pertains to how I treat others and how I look at situations. You know, I'm not here to pass judgment on anyone. That's not my responsibility. You know, we are all brothers and sisters in the eyes of our creator. At least that's the way I look at it. You know, and just like any brother or sister in any family, you know, sometimes people make mistakes and sometimes they make choices that we can't control. That doesn't mean that we don't respect them as individuals. You know, there's a lot of people that we would like to see them do different situations or do make different decisions. But we don't lose hope in humanity. And that's really what I stand for. In the latest round of campaign finance reports, which came out Monday, your monetary contributions totaled just over $16,000. You trail one of your opponents, Walker Stapleton, by more than $1.3 million. How can you realistically overcome that? You know, it's interesting, right? Everybody looks at the money. Yet, when we came out of the assembly, he got 44% of the vote, and I got 33% of the vote. So it wasn't that big of a gap. You know, I think what I'm focusing in on, right, is not the the money and am I raising all the millions of dollars that everybody else has. I'm focused on my message, connecting with the voters of Colorado, making sure that they understand that I care about what their struggles are, that I care about their future. You know what? And I'm going to go as far as the Lord wants to take me. You know, and for me, it's not all about the money. It's about making sure that we're representing the right message for everyone Because it is about all of us, not just some of us. And I am the only county that that talks about the 64 counties and making sure that people understand that there are families scattered across the state of Colorado. I'm not sure that's true, actually. I think Donna Lynn has talked about visiting. Well, I can tell you, I was the first to start talking about it. You know, Uh, Chris, money buys commercials. Do you need those? Money doesn't buy votes. You know, the best, the best marketing that you can have is word of mouth. Because that word of mouth makes sure that when people are talking in their living rooms or talking in their backyards, people are respecting the opinion of others. And so money we need, there's no question about that, okay? But for those that say money buys votes, I would say that they don't understand how the voter truly looks at the election cycle. Thank you for being with us. You betcha. Thank you for having me. Republican Greg Lopez is running for governor of Colorado. We spoke May 8th. Next time on Who's Gonna Govern, another GOP contender, Walker Stapleton. He's currently state treasurer. Our theme is composed by Scott Holmes. Thanks to producers Anthony Cotton and Michelle P. Fulcher. Also to audio engineer Michael Hughes. I'm Ryan Warner, CPR News. News.